Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. Well, good morning. We are in week two of our sermon series, Jesus in 3D. And if you hear like loud noises in the background of this recording, it's because there's construction happening all around me. So I apologize in advance. That clip you just watched um, was regarding Mary Magdalene from the series, The Chosen. And Mary Magdalene has been a figure of religious, artistic, and literary inspiration for Christians for the past 2000 years. In the Bible, she is at the cross where Jesus is crucified. She was a key witness at the resurrection, and she followed Jesus as a disciple along the Sea of Galilee. And in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, that is where she stays. But in the West, Mary Magdalene has gone viral, okay? In the West, Mary was a presumed prostitute, the symbol of contemplation and penitence, and even the first apostle. In later legends, she travels to France and even the Egyptian desert. She was vividly portrayed in medieval art, sometimes sensuous or naked, only covered by her long, voluptuous hair. She has been many things to many people. And if you saw the movie The Da Vinci Code or read the book, uh, some have even made her to be the wife of Jesus. She wasn't. Uh, we do not know more than what the Gospels tell us. Some scholars are convinced that she was a woman with a sordid and sensual past. Other scholars are convinced that she was a wealthy and educated entrepreneur. Uh, we know that she was mentioned nine times in the Gospels. Mary Magdalene is included in the list of other women, and in eight of those lists, she's listed first. The two female figures in the Gospels that are closest to Jesus is Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. And one of the energies that drives the fascination with Mary Magdalene in history is her contrast and her similarity to the Virgin Mary. And the imaginative power of the idea that somebody who had been a sexual sinner could get as close to Jesus as someone who was a virgin, that, that's a very powerful imaginative notion. And very early on in Christianity, by third century, uh, many Christians began to use the Song of Solomon to describe Mary Magdalene. Uh, they would put these words in her mouth. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. These Christians would put these words in the mouth of Mary in an allegorical way of searching for Jesus. In the early church, Mary Magdalene becomes the figure of the soul in love with God. She was close to Jesus. That much is clear. Among the women disciples, she was the most preeminent. If you look at the burial and resurrection of Jesus, somehow Mary Magdalene seems to be in charge of the duties regarding the dead. So she comes to the tomb of Jesus expecting to do the things that a family member would do for Jesus. She was the one at the tomb of Christ that Easter Sunday. Where was Peter? Where was John? Where was James and Andrew? They were probably fishing, but Mary, was arriving at the tomb to take care of the body of Jesus, as if she was family. And when she arrives, the stone is rolled away. 
And so she runs and finds Peter and John, and then Peter and John race to the tomb. John wins the race. John lets us know this himself. They go into the tomb, but they don't see the body of Jesus. And they didn't seem to understand that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead. So they leave the tomb and they go back to the place where they were staying, but Mary remains. John says it this way in chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. What a beautiful story. Jesus could have appeared to Peter and John. They were just there, but there's something about Mary. She's babbling on to a stranger that she thinks is the gardener, and Jesus stops her in her track and says her name, Mary. And she says, Rabboni, my rabbi, my teacher. Her response places her as an intimate disciple. She says, Rabboni, my rabbi. The religious leaders of the day would say, excuse me, Mary, women don't have rabbis. And Mary's like, I don't care. My teacher, my rabbi. Gregory of Antioch in the sixth century said uh, in one of his homilies uh, that Mary said, proclaim to my disciples the mysteries which you have seen. Become the first teacher of teachers. Peter, who has denied me, must learn that I also choose women as apostles. Mary Magdalene is a woman close to Jesus and called by Jesus. And regardless of Mary Magdalene's past, it is in the character of Jesus to be found in the red light district. Now, in our in-person services at Buller High School, at this point of the service, all of the lights in the theater and on the stage will turn red reimagining a red light district on a Sunday morning. Jesus is always involved in the red light districts, loving and calling and transforming those who have fallen on hard times. There was a famous red light district in Magdala, the home of Mary. And the term red light district originates from the red lights that were used as signs at brothels. It has become synonymous with the seedy parts of town. This is a picture of the red light district in Tijuana, only a six hour drive from where I currently am. Statistics show that Tijuana has one of the highest per capita murder rates in the world. And notice there is a church right in the middle, right in the heart of the red light district, Iglesia Cristiana Bethel. Bethel 
means, literally means, house of God. Here, smack dab in the middle of one of the most seedy areas in North America is the house of God. It's beautiful. Of course, that's where God is found, in and around people who need him. The church has remained there, even when countless drug cartels have tried to drive them away and threatened violence. They remained to be a light in the middle of darkness. God is not afraid of the messy parts of town. God is not afraid of the messy parts of your life. It is there in the messiness of life where we discover Bethel, the house of God. My second favorite story in the Bible is one where God calls a prophet to marry a prostitute. The story is found in Hosea and it opens with God asking the prophet to take unto himself an adulterous woman. Now in the Hebrew, it is ambiguous. Is she already adulterous or will she become adulterous? And the answer of course is yes. If you have your Bibles, turn to the minor prophet Hosea chapter one, verse three. It says, so he married Gomer, daughter of Divlaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now this is actually a very interesting inclusion here in the original Hebrew because Divlaim uh, means two cakes. In it, many scholars have come to the conclusion that this is not referring to Gomer's father, but rather Gomer's mother, Divlaim. And uh, it speaks of uh, one given up to sensuality. And the two fig cakes was her price for her services. And this is not typical in the ancient writings. Perhaps Gomer was the daughter of a prostitute and the father could have been any number of men. Perhaps Divlaim was a single mom who had a daughter named Gomer and she ended up doing the same work that her, she did. You see, there's always a story as a Christian, we are not allowed to think, ooh, the red light district, ooh, bad, evil, depraved, God's wrath upon the harlots and the wretched sinners. No, there's always a story. There's always someone made in the image of God and you cannot take that away from that and just label them as reprobate. We are not allowed to do that as Christ followers. No, we choose to see them as people who have unbelievable worth and value and who bear the image of God. Let's continue the story of Gomer, daughter of Divlaim, as there are some interesting things that might be missed as we read through this tiny book in the Bible. Verse three, so he married Gomer, daughter of Divlaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Verse six, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Call her Laruhamah. And after she had weaned Laruhamah, Gomer had another son. Notice that in verse three, the text says that she bore him. She bore Hosea a son. But then in verse six, that part is emitted. The text actually hints that in fact, the last two children were not Hosea's children. This is actually discovered in the next chapter. Look at chapter two. Uh, Hosea says, I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful. She has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool, my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. Scandal. He finds out she cheated. She betrayed him. One wonders if Hosea had hoped and prayed every night for Gomer. One wonders that as he fell in love with her, did he hope that it wasn't going to be true? 
that she would remain faithful. And so what is her response to him finding out? Well, it says in verse five, I'll go after my lovers who give me my food, my water, my wool, my linen, olive oil, drink. She, instead of turning towards her husband, she doubles down and she indulges. She thinks that indulging in the darkness could lead to the light and it never does. It just leaves a wake of pain in the life of you and in the life of others. Hosea now and his three kids, he's a single dad. He's raising three kids, two of which are not his own. And so we saw her reaction to being found out. She chased after her lovers who gave her the new grain, the new wine, the new oil. They give her luxuries. They give her things. They provide for her. They make her happy. And so she chased after them. What is Hosea's response to this? Look at verse eight. She, Gomer, has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil. Did you miss it? Do you see what's going on here? She says that her lovers provide her with grain, new wine, food, and oils. But here we discover the true source of that provision. Hosea is providing for her the whole time. Picture what happened in 8th century BC. Hosea heads to the red light district in search of his wife. He shows up at the door of the man she is living with or staying with. Hosea introduces himself as her husband and the man shrieks in defense. And Hosea says, no, 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 I don't want to fight. I'm not here to argue, but I understand that you can't provide for my wife. I understand that she's hungry. So here, give her this new wine, this new food, this olive oil. Give this to her and say it's from her husband, Hosea, with love. And the man slams the door in his face and walks up to Gomer in the backside of the house and says, honey, look what I brought you. Hosea was providing for Gomer even in the midst of her rebellion, in the midst of her waywardness. Love always provides and pursues even in waywardness. That's what God does for us. Even in our wandering, he provides, he loves, he pursues. It's true for you. Even when you are distant from God, far away from God, he provides. No matter where you are right now, perhaps you are indulging in things that won't work out. Perhaps you're indulging in the darkness, trying to find the light. God loves you. God pursues you right where you are. I have to say that the story of Hosea and Gomer is a metaphor between God and his people. Hosea is a picture of God's faithfulness in the midst of our own bad decisions. So much so that in the first three chapters of Hosea, you can't tell if he is talking about the adulterous relationship between Gomer and Hosea or the adulterous relationship between the nation of Israel and God, the God of faithfulness. So what happens in the end of our story? Chapter three, perhaps one of the greatest chapters in scripture. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and lethic of barley. 
Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will behave the same towards you. Let's go back to 8th century BC. In that time period, they would strip a slave down naked and put her on a block in the middle of the marketplace to bid on her. See, it says Hosea purchased her back. See, she ended up in slavery. Slaves were always sold naked. And the price in which we are told that Hosea bought her for, it wasn't excessive. The price for a slave was 30 shekels. The price reflects negatively on Gomer's age, Gomer's desirability, and Gomer's physical condition. Gomer is no longer in high demand. She has become cast off, attractive only to quench selfish lust or genuine love. Some would say that he wasted his money on a worthless woman, but in reality, it is at this point where Hosea's love burns brightest. Hosea goes to the red light district to buy his wife back. In the middle of town could be heard the sound that was louder than all others. In the middle of town square, a, a crowd had gathered and the auctioneer stood up and said, six shekels. Who, who, who's willing to bid six shekels on this woman? Okay, six, now I need seven. Who is it? Seven, I see seven in the back. Eight shekels, can I get eight shekels? Come on guys, she's gotta be worth more than eight shekels. The men had gathered to look upon the one who is now on the auction block. The seller said she was worth much more than eight shekels, but you wouldn't notice that just by looking at her. She stood naked before them, thin and frail, ribs protruding from her side, bruised, scarred. Her dark black hair was dirty and matted together in places. Her hair had once been her pride and joy, a place of combs and ribbons. And now it was a home for dirt and lice. How long had it been since a comb had run through it? Eight shekels, he says. Yes, thank you, sir. Nine, nine. Where will you ever find a slave woman for nine shekels? Come on, I've got eight. Give me nine. As the bidding continued, the woman thought back over her life. Gomer's life had been good at one time. She remembered to another place that seemed so long ago, perhaps like a dream. She thought back to her wedding day. For yes, this woman had at one time had a husband and oh, the joy of that day, the wedding feast. There was so much fun, so much laughter. Oh, how she longed for just a fraction of the joy that she experienced on that day. Her thoughts were interrupted with the auctioneer grabbing her arm and saying, turn around and show them your backside. Who will give me nine shekels? Yes, nine shekels. They're in the back. I see it. Can, can someone give me 10? Memories of her children and the joy on their faces when her husband Hosea would pick them up and throw them in the air began to flood her mind. A husband who really loved her and her two fine sons and a beautiful daughter. 10 shekels, 10 shekels. Where will you ever find a woman like this for 10 shekels. Gentlemen, we're not gonna get to the better slaves if we don't sell this one first. 10 shekels. 10 shekels going once, 10 shekels going twice. What would you say, sir? Okay, 15 shekels and a bushel of, 10 bushels of barley? 
Why, sir, we're, we're bidding on this one first. The better ones are coming later. Well, uh, never mind. Uh, sold. 15 shekels. 10 bushels. Going once. Going twice. So the deal was done. The, the one who had bought the woman made his way to the auction block and the seller held out his hand and counted the coins falling into his hands. And counting his good luck that he had just got such a fine price for such a terrible slave. The woman didn't even raise her head to look. It was just one man more to abuse her and to use her. Expecting hands to grab her and drag her away, she was shocked when she felt a soft, gentle robe placed on her shoulders to cover up her nakedness. Without a word of condemnation or even a look of disgust, her husband looked at her and asked her to come home with him. Not as a slave woman, but as his wife. Hosea and Gomer is a picture of God and his people. Hosea was written 800 years before Jesus, but what a beautiful picture of God's love. We too are sold into slavery of sin and the world bids on us with money, with success, with sex, with lust, with pride, with power. All wanting to use us, never able to fulfill us, to give us what we truly desire, which is love. And on the cross is Jesus's proposal to us, his, his chance to buy us back. The Greek equivalent for the name Hosea is Jesus. And it means Yahweh is my salvation. You see, Jesus is still rescuing women from slavery. Check out this video. Hey Prodigal, I am here with Carol Berticelli. I met Carol uh, close to 10 years ago and she has been a part of Prodigal Church since we started. And I've shared this with her and, and she will deny this uh, vehemently, but she's a great hero of mine. Um, she is an absolute saint and a great inspiration to me in my personal life, but also um, throughout our church. and. And so we're close. Carol is my sister from a different mister and, uh, and is such a great encouragement to me and to our entire church. And I just wanted to sit down with her and have her share a little bit about some of the work that she's been doing. So Carol, thank you so much for um, sharing your heart with me and with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing these past few years. Well, first of all, I'm a retired school psychologist 40 years with uh, Fresno Unified. And as I retired and um, had more time, I was looking for a, a ministry that, that God would lead me to. And it happened to be Breaking the Chains, which is human trafficking um, recovery. Uh, traffickers are um, people that um, abuse other people. And they do this by uh, sexual exploitation. They do this by human bondage. They do this by uh, involuntary servitude. They do this by slavery. And as we, um, as we know, it's getting bigger and bigger. It's big in the United States. It's, it's big in California. 
and it's big in uh, the San Joaquin Valley. So I work for an organization called Breaking the Chains, which is faith-based and community-based, and we come alongside of um, people and we help them recover and we wow. help them find Jesus and renew their religious beliefs and renew their spiritual side. And we, um, we have the privilege of um, coming alongside of wonderful girls, wow. wonderful ladies. 7% uh, are men in the industry, but most of the time um, we just get to be their friend to provide services for them, to provide housing, uh, any needs they might have, physical needs, spiritual needs, financial needs, medical needs, and most of all, um, I work for two wonderful, wonderful ladies, Tiffany and Deborah. Our organization is um, Survivor Run and wow. Survivor Founded, and I'm just blessed to be able to um, meet wonderful new people and uh, be a part of their recovery. That's amazing. Uh, the way that you uh, are Jesus in really difficult spaces. Can you tell me about, or tell us about, how you have seen Jesus at work in these difficult spaces? First of all, I serve a risen Savior because of um, the cross and the resurrection. Um, my Jesus defeated sin and he defeated um, death. And so with that to be said, um, we teach about many things about in recovery and restoration. My Jesus believes in recovery. He believes in restoration. He believes in rejoicing. He believes in repentance. So as we have classes at Breaking the Chains on um, how to live a different life, how to understand about safe people, how to understand about recovery and building back your life better, how to understand about uh, careers and more normal things in life, um, I see Jesus daily. One of the things that I love about everything that you shared is the intimacy that you have with Jesus. I noticed you said, my Jesus. I just, I just find that so beautiful and that in and of itself so inspiring. Um, what would you say motivates you um, in serving in ministries like this uh, at all hours of the day or night? The love that people have given me in my life, the people that um, have stood beside me in crisis areas and that um, I serve a risen Savior who has forgiven me for many things and I just um, try to keep doing that. That's amazing. If uh, people are going to be watching this from, from all over the United States, all over California, all over the world, um, as a follower of Jesus, uh, as someone who uh, has a close intimate relationship with Jesus and, and does their best to um, to follow him wherever that may lead into what area of town, whatever area of town that may lead to. Do you have any last encouragement um, for those uh, trying to hear and discern God's call on their life? I do have, um, stay close to Jesus, stay in prayer, never give up, just keep moving forward. Um, Christ died on the cross for our past sins, our future sins, our today's sins, but he never leaves us. That's my Jesus too. That's my Jesus too. Thank you so much for your heart, for your your gift um, to the world, and your gift to me personally. Uh, you mean a lot to me, and thank you so much for sharing this with the world. Thank you. God, we thank you for Carol Berticelli and the blessing that she is to the world, the blessing that she is to this community, the blessing that she is to Prodigal Church, and the blessing that she is 
to me. We pray your blessings upon her in every way in the work that she is doing, um, serving people made in the image of God, who bear the image of God, who are worth so much, that have insurpassable worth. God, we pray that we would be moved by your love wherever that takes us. Perhaps it may not take us to a red light district, but it will take us um, to places that might make us uncomfortable. But may we see and show your love always in Jesus' name, amen. We wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is week three of our Jesus in 3D series, and we're gonna be looking at Jesus as healer with some practical opportunities for us to actually bless um, and help heal the hearts of those displaced um, from the war in Ukraine. Um, and more about that next week. We look forward to seeing you next week. Peace in Ukraine.